Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 23 for our study this morning. We're going through the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 23. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you love us and it's so good to, to take time to draw near to you. And we ask that you would manifest your presence. We know that you're with us, that you never leave us or forsake us. God, but I just pray right now through the anointing of your Holy Spirit that you would allow us to know that you are with us, that you live inside of us. God, we're here to draw near to you. We need to hear from you. We desire for you to speak to us. So would you bless our time together in Jesus' name, amen. It took David a little while to come to this conclusion that Saul actually indeed wants to kill him. He doesn't want to think the worst of Saul, but has come to this point where it's undeniable Saul is attempting to kill him. David is officially now on the run. He went to the priest to find food, to find refuge, to receive a weapon, and ultimately Saul then went and killed the whole group of priests as well as their families. That's where we left off uh, two weeks ago. And by the end of this chapter, in chapter 23, we're going to find that David is just a step in front of Saul. It seems very imminent that David's going to be captured, yet God protects him. And through this time of fleeing, through this time of danger, I think we learn a lot, we glean a lot from David's perspective in his life that we can apply as well. So this is the rock of escape, this chapter. He's literally on one side of the rock and Saul is on the other. If you're taking notes this morning, this is where we're headed. We're gonna look at three primary things. David inquired of the Lord, number one, he inquired of the Lord. And then we're going to see that his, he was strengthened in the Lord. So inquired of the Lord, number one. Strengthened in the Lord, number two. Jonathan comes to him and encourages him. And then finally, he's protected by the Lord. God supernaturally protects him. So let's begin in verse one. Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. David is hiding in Judah, which is southern Israel, In this community, there in southern Israel and Judah, Keilah is going to be attacked by the Philistines because it's the time of harvest, the threshing floors. And the threshing floor is where they would bring in the wheat and harvest the wheat. David hears of of this news. This is what he does. This is how he responds. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. So point number one is David inquires of the Lord. He asks of the Lord, God, what would you want me to do in this situation? Here my countrymen are being attacked by our enemy, the Philistines. They're going to lose their their food. They're going to lose what sustains them. God answers and says, I want you to go and attack What ministers to me with David here is he doesn't assume that he's got this figured out. A lot of times we would go right into action mode. Here's a believer, here's someone that we love and they're in danger and we're gonna go in and we're gonna rescue them. God doesn't want us to always just go and meet needs. He wants us to pray first. He wants us to seek the Father. God, is this something that you would have me to do? Is this a need that you want me to meet in in God? answers. A lot of times I tend to go into operation mode first instead of going into to prayer first. And the, the older I get, the more hard lessons I receive, run into some brick walls, the more apt I am to inquire of the Lord. I think God has a lot more to say than we may think. He, he, he wants to give guidance. 
He wants to speak to our hearts and our our lives. Jesus describes himself as this, the wonderful counselor. Say, I'm ready to give you counsel. I want to guide you. I want to direct you. Also, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, meaning that he wants to bring that guidance into our hearts and into our lives. A great promise in James chapter one is this. If any of you lack wisdom, church, is that you this morning? Did you come in lacking wisdom? Do you qualify for that? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally. He's ready. He's just waiting for us to ask. He's saying, come and inquire of me and I will give you wisdom. But here is the requirement of God with wisdom and it's that we have to ask in faith. We have to trust. We have to trust the wisdom that he is going to give to us, not doubt it. If we begin to doubt, James tells us we become double-minded, unstable in all of our ways. We're like a ship being tossed in the storm. Ever been there? I've been there. Inquired of the Lord, God answers, doubt enters in, and all of a sudden, I find myself extremely confused. We have to hold on to the wisdom that God wants to provide in our hearts and in our lives. What's interesting for me, maybe you have this as well, if you, you share the word, maybe you're teaching a Bible study or sharing with your kids, A lot of times what I'm teaching, God brings me experiences to see if I'll live it in in my own life. It's almost to the point where my wife Amber says, if we need to know what we're going to go through as a family, we just need to read ahead a few chapters. You know, it's like, she'll say, why didn't you tell me you were going to teach on this? It would have made this week a a lot easier. I would have had some, some perspective. And sure enough, Friday comes and I've got a ministry decision to make and praying through it. And I needed to inquire of the Lord, to ask wisdom of the Lord. I needed to call some other pastors, talk with pastors here on staff, talk talk it over with Amber. And God was faithful to, to meet me in that and give me wisdom in that. But I had to go, okay, here's this situation that I need to, to wrestle with. So how does God answer us when we inquire of the Lord? Do we know? Does, does he give us guidance? We don't know how God answered David here in verse 2. We just have that God said, go attack the Philistines. So how does God answer us? I think the primary way is through the word of God. The word of God gives us understanding of who God is, but also direction for our lives. The Psalms tell us that the word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. You think about hiking in the dark and and the light just, it illuminates the next step. And God wants to illuminate the next step in our lives. So when we do devotions, we're looking for God, what is the manna for today? What's the provision for today? What's the answer that you want to give me today? When we come and study the word on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or Saturday night, God, what is the direction that you're wanting to speak into my heart and my life? Maybe you're listening to a message on the radio. Oh, Lord, that was for me. That's exactly what I need for this particular situation. You're listening to a podcast going, God, I need your direction. Also, God guides us through prayer, doesn't he? As we spend time in prayer with the Lord, he he brings direction into our hearts and lives. If you feel that the Lord is directing you in prayer, you always have to run it back through scripture. Because sometimes we'll get our wires crossed, our communication with God crossed. We'll think we've heard from the Lord, but actually if it's in contradiction to the scripture, We haven't heard from the Lord. God will use counselors in our lives, godly counselors that that will come and and speak to us. But this is the principle. This is the heart of it. Will you inquire of the Lord? Will I inquire of the Lord? We think that God's concerned with the big things in our lives, but he's not concerned with the little things in our lives. Where do you get that in scripture? 
Is there somewhere in scripture where God's like, I'm really stressed out. There's a lot going on in the world. I don't have time to hear about your car. I don't have time to hear about the difficulties with, with your kids. I don't have time to hear about your finances. God tells us that he's our father, that he thinks about us more than the sands of the sea. His thoughts towards us are that of peace and not of evil. Do you think he's concerned about all those details of your life? Do you think he has an opinion? Absolutely. God, I want to inquire of you of this. I want to ask of you of this. Jesus told us to ask, to seek, to knock, and the door will be open to us. In the Greek, it's literally this. Keep asking, keep knocking, and keep seeking. Sometimes it's a persistent inquiry of the Lord. It's a persistent asking of the Lord. Sometimes God waits to give his answer. Don't you love that? God, I've been praying about this for three months. I just don't feel like you've answered. Keep persisting in prayer. Keep inquiring of the Lord. Sometimes God says wait. Sometimes he will say no. Sometimes he'll say yes. But David shows great wisdom to inquire of the Lord. In verse 3, But David's men said to him, Look, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the army of the Philistines? 400 men with David. It's going to grow to 600 men. And they're coming to to David and they're saying, we're already in danger from Saul. Why would we now then attack the Philistines? We'll have two enemies. Makes sense. So verse four, then David inquired of the Lord once again, and the Lord answered him and said, arise, go to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hands. Can you ever inquire of God too much? You get some more information. Can you put yourself in David's shoes? 600 men. It's all he's got. They're trusted, and they're saying, I don't think this is a good idea. Okay, well, let me pray about this some more. Let me take this back uh, to the Lord. Let me get some more insight. And God, once again, gives the same answer. Go, and I'm going to give you the victory. Verse 5, And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David and the inhabitants of Keilah. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Defeats the Philistines, gets their cattle, gets their livestock. The city of Keilah is saved. Now it happened when Abathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. Abathar was the son of Ahimelech. Ahimelech was killed by David as well as the other priest. He's the only priest that survives, and he comes with the ephod, this priestly garment. In verse 7, and Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Saul's so bold to think that God has delivered David into his hand. He hears that David is in this city of Keilah. Then Saul called the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Did you catch that? What does Saul do? He declares war. We don't take that lightly, do we? We look at the events of the last two weeks. France has declared war on ISIS. Leaders of countries don't take those words lightly. If you declare war on someone, you mean it. And Saul's the same way. He's the leader of Israel. His bitterness has gotten so great against David that now he's declared a war upon him. Whenever we go to war with another believer, we're fighting the wrong battle, aren't we? The real enemy is Satan, and Satan wants us to fight with one another. 
And when we begin to fight with one another, who bleeds? Christ bleeds because we're, we're the body of Christ. So we have to keep that in mind. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hands? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. David continues to inquire of the Lord as this story develops, as this difficulty develops. This is continued reliance upon the Lord. Reliance and obedience to the guidance that God gives and God provides. What does the ephod have to do with God's guidance here? If you go back to Exodus and Numbers, the high priest with his ephod also had the Urim and the Thummim connected to it, which was 12 stones representing each tribe of Israel, and God would bring his answer through these stones. We don't know exactly how that would take place. It seems mystical to us, but that's how God guided the children of Israel in the Old Testament. So some speculate that Abathar had the Urim and the Thummim because the rest of the priests had been killed, and the ephod contained that, but we don't know for sure. But for some reason, with David, the ephod was important in seeking the Lord and the guidance of the Lord. Now take a deep breath. Thankfully, God doesn't direct us through stones anymore. He directs us through his word. He directs us through the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. God's going to answer David in this in verse 11. He says, I ask, will they come down? You know, will Saul come down? Will they deliver me into their hand? Then David said, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. Saul's coming after you, and Keilah is going to betray you. Here David's just saved them. He saved their city, saved their lives. They're going to turn David into the hands of Saul. Have you found that sometimes those that you help the most, those that you put your life out on the line for, end up hurting you the most? In a sense, kind of betraying, not appreciating the sacrifice that you've just made? It usually happens that way. I'm not sure why, but it, it tends to happen that way. So then there's this great question, why help anybody? <laughs> In your back of your mind, like, well, why did David go and risk his life for the city of Keilah? They didn't even appreciate it. And here's why. There's several reasons why. And the first is, is Jesus commands us to, doesn't he? He says it's more blessed to give than to, to receive. And as we pour out our lives into others, whether they appreciate it or not, God ministers to our souls. If you look at verse 5, what did David leave with from this attack? He leaved with some stakes, didn't he? So someone you've poured out your life to, you've really helped them, and they have betrayed you, you don't have a cow about it. Don't, don't milk it for all it's worth. Just trust that the Lord is bringing you some stakes, that he is pro providing for you. Jesus, when he ministered to the woman at the well, he had sent his disciples to go get him some food. Has this conversation with this woman who needs living water, a great, great conversation. The disciples come back and they go, we got the falafels, we got the hamburgers and the fries. Wasn't a cheeseburger because it was kosher, but hamburger or bacon burger, excuse me or cheeseburger, but that's another point. 
here it is, we brought you the food, and Jesus then, then says, well, I've already eaten. They're like, what? How, how is it that you've already eaten? And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. He understood where real satisfaction in life comes from is I'm doing the will of the Father. That's why we help people, not for what they're gonna give back to us, but I know this is the will of the Father. I'm trusting that God's gonna sustain my soul. This is where the real food of life is. Also, I think there's an eternal reward as we reach out to people. Jesus told us in Matthew 5, if you're persecuted or people speak falsely because of you for righteousness sake, great is your reward in heaven. So you reach out to someone, they don't appreciate it, they ultimately run you under the bus for it, great is your reward in heaven. You did it in the name of, of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, I think that David doesn't get upset here because he knows his own fallen state. David has just come off the tough experience of, of sinning, of lying, when he was afraid, pretending to be a madman. And he's like, I can't be too hard on the city of Keilah. I have my own weaknesses. When I'm in that place, when I'm aware of my own sin, I'm much more gracious to others. But here's the trap if you've been hurt. I'm not loving like that again. I'm not helping like that again. They've hurt me too bad. I've been down that road. I'm going to keep loving Jesus I'm going to keep loving my family, but I'm not going to reach out to people. And once again, Satan has a victory in that, right? Because we're closed off and we're not living from a heart of love anymore. Verse 13, so David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, so he halted the expedition. So David goes and his men, and they just flee wherever they can. And David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. So Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hands. The wilderness of Ziph, Ziph literally means refining place. God's taking David to the wilderness to refine him, to teach them. Charles Spurgeon said this, affliction is the tuner of the harp and the sanctifier of the sun. It's the tuner of the heart and the sanctifier of the individual. I like that. As we go through affliction, it moves us to become greater worshipers. Great worship that we see in the life of David was built out of these tough experiences. God brought him to this place. And then notice in the scripture, Saul's seeking him every day. What a terrible existence. Revenge has gotten so bad. But God, God intervenes. God delivered David every single day out of his hand. God is the one who's in control, not Saul. Verse 15, so David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows this. Perfect timing for Jonathan. Point number two, David strengthened in the Lord. He inquires of the Lord, but now he's strengthened in the Lord. Saul comes and strengthens his hand in the Lord. Excuse me, Jonathan does. Jonathan comes and strengthens his hand in the Lord. How does he do that? How does Jonathan strengthen him? He reminds David of God's promises and God's purpose. God's promise is this, you're gonna be king. You've been anointed to, to be king. And when we're in the wilderness, when we're in the forest, 
when our life is on the line, we need friends that will come to us in compassion, but also come to us in truth and say, you know what? God is faithful. God is good. This is God's promise. This is God's purpose. This is what he's doing in this particular situation. If David needed this in his life, all of us need this in our lives. Amen? All of us are not above the place of needing encouragement from others. David is hurting here. David's going through it here. David's afraid here. And he needs a Jonathan in his life. Not only that, but Jonathan affirms his loyalty to David. He says, I'm going to be by your side. Once you're king, I'm going to be right there with you. My dad might be coming against you, but I'm with you. Sometimes it's very comforting just to have someone come alongside of you, remind you of God's promises, to look you in the eye, put an arm around you, give you a hug, and say, you know, I'm with you. I'm going to walk with you through this. I'm going to cry with you through this. I'm going to listen to you through this. I'm with you. As we go throughout scripture, God gives us these insights of people doing this for, for one another. We think of Peter. Peter's struggling. He's in his own forest, if you would. He denied the Lord, went back to fishing. Jesus is on the shore cooking breakfast. John realizes it's the Lord. Now you have to understand, Peter and John have grown up together on the Sea of Galilee. They were fishermen together on the Sea of Galilee, lifelong friends. And this is all John has to say. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Peter, there's Jesus. That's all Peter needed. And he jumped into the water gets things right with Jesus. He's restored with his relationship with Jesus. Peter needed a John in his life. The great Apostle Paul, we look at the Apostle Paul and he almost seems superhuman to me sometimes. What he was able to do, what he was able to endure, his attitude, but Saul went through, or excuse me, Paul went through some difficult times, didn't he, in his, his own soul. And I'm just to be honest, there's too many Sauls and Pauls and all these names, it's early. It's early in the morning. So Paul, not a lot of people wanted to be around Paul when he got saved because he persecuted Christians. They didn't believe his conversion. But there was a guy named Barney, Barnabas, and his name literally means son of encouragement. And he went to be around Saul and welcomed Saul into ministry, Paul into ministry. Once it goes south, it's hard to recover. <laughs> Later on in Paul's ministry, Titus comes to him and encourages him. Titus was someone that Paul had poured into. That was his protege. He needed that encouragement. So here's what I want you to do. Here's an application. I want you to pray about this. Is who is it this week that God wants you to encourage? I know that there are people in your life that are in the forest. They're in the wilderness of Ziph. And look around, pray, and go to them might take some risk, might take some sacrifice with the purpose of strengthening their hand in God. Say, God, would you show me how to strengthen their hand in God? Have you ever had this experience where you haven't thought about someone for a long time, they're not really in your daily life anymore, but they're a close friend, and all of a sudden you're, you're thinking about them. And you're, they're on your heart, they're on your, on your mind. Do you think that that's a coincidence or the Holy Spirit? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's bringing them to your heart and your mind and start praying for them in that moment and then send them a text. Say, man, you're on my heart, thinking about you, praying for you, hope you're doing well. Bam, send them a text. And then this is so old school, you won't even believe it, that you could pick up the phone and you could call them. 
You don't have to dial the number. They're still in your contacts list. You, you just go to it and bam, you, you call them. They won't pick up because we don't pick up phone calls anymore. But that's okay. You can leave them a voicemail. Say, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. If you need anything, call me. That's the Holy Spirit that's doing that in your life. There will probably be somebody that you spend Thanksgiving with on Thursday that's hurting. And it's going to be masked with the joking, everything's fine, the food, the holiday, but inside their heart and their life, they're devastated. Holidays are really tough for a lot of people, including believers. It's a hard time. It exposes the hurt and the pain and the fear in our lives. And go past that and say, man, I can tell you're hurting. I'm praying for you. Maybe there's someone God wants at your Thanksgiving table that you're not planning on inviting. Invite them. Right now, the Holy Spirit's putting them on your heart and mind. Reach out to them. That's what Jonathan did, and the result was David was strengthened in the Lord. We all need people that will strengthen us. This is something that we give. This is something that we receive as well. We look at verse 18. So the two made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. They made a covenant. They've already made this covenant, but they're reminding each other of the covenant. Today we're going to celebrate communion and we're going to remember the covenant of Jesus Christ. And the covenant of Christ always remains firm. It's always consistent in our lives. So verse 19, then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah saying, is David not hiding with us in the stronghold in the woods in the hill of Hakaliah, which is on the south of Jessam? The Ziphites are also from the tribe of Judah. David is from the tribe of Judah. So this is David's second betrayal. David is receiving inside information from Jonathan. Saul is receiving inside information from the Ziphites. Verse 20, now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. We'll hand over David to you. And Saul said, blessed are you of the Lord for you have compassion on me. Saul loves to throw out the name of the Lord. He has piety. He has the Christian phrases, but there's no reality behind it. His life isn't matching his words. Verse 22, please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is and who has seen him there. For I am told he's very crafty. He's the Robin Hood of the woods, the Robin Hood of the Sherwood forest. See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty and I will go with you and it shall be if he is in the land that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul but David and his men were in the wilderness of Moan in the plain of the south of Jessam. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David, therefore he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Moan. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Moan. So you see this, David moves one place, Saul is after him. Then Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side. So David made haste to get away from Saul for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take him. So you can picture this. David's on one side of the mountain, Saul's on the other, and they're just doing this circle, this cat and mouse game. It seems certain that David is going to be captured. Verse 27, but a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come for the Philistines have invaded the land. That's the Lord. 
That's God's deliverance. That's our third point this morning. David is protected by the Lord. He's protected by God. Once again, I think this is the perfect word from the Lord from the week that we have just had. As we look at the terrorist attacks in France, in Africa, many places on high alert, I am sure that most of us have wrestled with some fear this week. You began to think things that you normally wouldn't think. You begin to look at people in ways that you normally wouldn't look at them, looking over, over your shoulder. And we have to understand that we're protected by the Lord. So does this mean that Christians never suffer? Does this mean that Christians never go through hard times? No. God does allow Christians to suffer. David here is protected. John the Baptist was executed, wasn't he? So sometimes God will allow believers to lose their lives, to go through suffering, but this is the comfort. This is what we know. Saul is not in charge. Cancer is not in charge. Government leaders of countries are not in charge. Last time I checked, Jesus is on his throne and he's in charge. So that means that if God allows suffering in my life, it's his will. It passed through his hand. If he wants me to be delivered, he's going to deliver me. If he wants me to suffer, I'm going to suffer. But God's greater than Saul. This wasn't David's time to be killed. God had a plan for David. God was going to be faithful. And he shows his power over Saul. And you can apply that to whatever the Saul is in your life. Whatever it is that you feel threatened by that's causing you to move in fear. I've wrestled with fear this week. I currently, continually, I know times in the future I'll, I'll wrestle with fear in different situations. But of all people, of all people, we're God's people, and hopefully our response is not one of fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. God is our protector. The chapter ends out, therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and it went against the Philistines, so they called that place the rock of escape. Literally in the Hebrew, this means the rock of protection. Then David went up from there and dwelt in the strongholds at En Gedi. Do you think that David was trusting in the rock? Is he saying the rock is the one who's protected me? No, he's saying God is the rock of protection. Psalm 62 verse 8 says this, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Trust in him right now. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, trust in him at all times because he's a refuge. He is the rock of perfection. One of the characteristics of Christ is he says he is the cornerstone. He is the rock. He's the one that we run to for refuge in our lives. The chapter ends with David in En Gedi. This is by the Dead Sea. It's in the rock cliffs just on the edge of the Dead Sea. It's a beautiful spot. There's a beautiful waterfall there. And Gedi literally means the Mount of the Goat because there's goats that live there in David's day. There's still goats there today. And David is hiding in the caves. And that's where we leave him at this moment.